Hello, this is Pastor Ryan of the Fostoria Baptist Church here to welcome you to the Aroma of Christ podcast. To for whatever local church to which you belong, I hope that this helps you to serve that church well as you listen to these sermons that come from the pulpits of the Fostoria Baptist Church located at 524 West Lytle Street. God bless. Hello. Scripture reading is Genesis 6, sorry, Genesis 7, 16 through 24. The flood narrative shows the accounts of God regretting, in the language of the text, that he had made man upon the earth because man is wicked. Every thought of man's heart is only wickedness continually. But, for some reason that the text doesn't say, Noah found favor, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So he's told to build a boat, and he's told to gather, and rather that God would gather, a whole bunch of animals to him that would then enter into the boat, and he does so obediently. And eight human persons and a whole bunch of stinky animals flock their way into the boat. And that is where we pick up today. Genesis seven sixteen. And they that went in, went in male and female of all flesh, as God had commanded him. And the Lord shut him in. And the flood was forty days upon the earth, and the waters increased and bare up the ark, and it was lift up above the earth. And the waters prevailed, and were increased greatly upon the earth, and the ark went upon the face of the waters. And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beasts and of every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth and every man. All in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. And every living substance was destroyed which was upon the face of the ground, both man and cattle and the creeping things the fowl of the heavens, and they were destroyed from the earth. And Noah only remained alive, and they that were with him in the ark. And the waters prevailed upon the earth a hundred and fifty days. Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 to 44. been working through Matthew, been seeing how Matthew introduces us to the person of Jesus, who is the Christ, the Messiah, the hope of the whole world. And this is Jesus' own words that Matthew has provided for us. 
things that have to do with the end also have a lot to do with how we live in light of the end. How Christians are supposed to live in faithful endurance, patient waiting. Last time we saw Jesus declare that his coming is near. All the signs leading up to it have come. Now he gives a little subtle contrast. To say, though it is near, we don't know when. So in Matthew 24, 36 to 44. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, but one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Father God, we ask you to guide us today. To help us to see what you have inspired through your spirit. How you have shown to us the grace of your son, your grace itself. Father, we ask that your spirit would be doing the work in our hearts that we can't do ourselves. Causing us to not just understand these words, but believe them. And to live in light of their beautiful truth and reality. Help us to live ready and prepared. I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Funny thing often tends to happen in moments of crisis and trial. And in particular, if that crisis and trial involves a medical diagnosis that has a pending life sentence. Three months to live, six months to live, a year to live. 
something changes about the way that we behold life. It's as if we then start living with a certain ticking clock. Many times people in this situation who have been casually indifferent towards the things of God suddenly change their tune. Suddenly seek more information about salvation. They seek something in terms of a revival of their own heart. Friends and family around them perhaps start seeking evangelism. Clock is ticking. The time is now. The one fundamental problem with all of this is that there's no promise of such a warning. We as human beings don't have the luxury of waiting until the 11th hour because we don't know when the 12th hour is. None of us in this room know the day of our death when we'd then, after the death, be appointed unto man for judgment. Nor do any of us know when Christ would return and the whole world be brought into judgment. The time to be right with God is now. The time is closing. And it will close with no further warning. So Jesus says, be ready always. The main point of this passage today is that you don't know when he comes. So be always ready. You don't know when he comes, so be always ready. Indeed, this passage works out quite nicely. And now we can easily follow it along, looking at each part of that phrase and part of the text. And so we start in verses 36 to 41. You don't know when he comes. Verses 36 to 41. You don't know when he comes. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. Know not the angels of heaven, but my father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. That part of the passage begins with Jesus' statement. And of that day and hour, 
no man knows. Now, depending on what translation is sitting in front of you, you might see a comment about how it's not the angels of heaven nor the Son, but my Father only. The King James doesn't have the statement, nor the Son. He does ultimately say the same thing by having the word only at the end of the verse. The Father alone is to know the timing of that day and hour. Now, the writers of the Gospels don't seem to have a direct problem theologically with this. They don't seem to catch the particular tension. They simply seem to see father and son are equal, but the father has that authority-type relationship. But we kind of have a little bit of a difficulty when we think about the son not knowing something, because we know that as God, he knows everything. And that's not something you can just set aside for a time. If he's to be God, he must always be God, and he must always have God's attributes. So he must know all things. In regard then to this him not knowing, most theologians like to clarify the fact that Christ has two natures. God's humanity, the divine nature, and human nature. And what is true of one nature can be said to be true of the person. If his divine nature is omniscient, it's true to say that he as a person is omniscient. If his human nature is limited in knowledge, then it can also be true of his person that he is limited in knowledge. The basic reality that kind of continues to develop in this regard is to think through the fact that as Jesus is in the manger, in the feeding trough, being helpless, that's what he's doing in his human nature, but he's in his divine nature still holding that manger together. Or even more pointedly, when he dies on the cross in his human nature, helpless and crying out, he is in his divine nature holding that very cross together. Divine and human nature don't mix. It's therefore not quite appropriate to say that he left heaven because as divine, he is everywhere. But the point Matthew is making is that if the angels don't know and the Father alone knows, then we don't. No one knoweth that day and hour. It's hidden from the angels. It's hidden from the Son and his human nature. How could it not also then be hidden from us? There have been times throughout church history and carrying over into times and our circles, where it becomes popular to try to predict something about the coming of the Lord. Maybe not the day or the hour, but we'll treat those as very literal things and start thinking about the week, month, year, or season. 
And there is some good in that, and that it helps us to, to remember that Jesus could come at any time and to always be looking up, anticipating his return. There's also a lot of bad in that because it's wrong according to the Bible. It does serious disservice to this text and the context of what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't giving us any impression that we're supposed to read the rest of Matthew 24 in one hand and a newspaper in the other to try to make similarities and cues. He doesn't suggest that for any book that looks at the end, whether it be Zechariah, Daniel, or Revelation. He instead is making the whole point that we don't know. He's saying instead, at the very end of our passage, that we must be always ready. If there were signs we could see before Jesus came, then we wouldn't need to be always ready. We'd only need to be ready after those signs came. But if there are no signs, and this isn't to be interpreted that literally, then we have hope. D.A. Carson says that it is ridiculous quibbling, divorced from the context, to say that though the day and the hour remain unknown, we ascertain the year or month. He'll even go so far as to say that Christ's disciples are morally bound to repress all desires to know what no one knows but the Father. Charles Spurgeon is perhaps even more pointed. If this method of treating the words of Jesus is not blasphemous, it is certainly foolish and betrays disloyalty to the king. We don't have the time. If you have a situation where you're in a public place and someone sees you have a watch and asks if you have a time, we don't have it. There's no watch for this. Thoughts and lessons and thinking through and people who try to interpret the scripture so as to try to give us some thoughts about how this happens are wrong. They're false teachers. And we do well not to listen to them. They're disloyal to the king, foolish and blasphemous. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows the month, time, or season either. We must be always ready. The statement is then explained by Jesus with a comparison, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. And he clarifies this, starting in verse 38 with the word for, showing that he's giving that reason as to why this parallel exists. And he describes the days of Noah. Verses 38 and 39 as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, 
marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and knew not until the flood came and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Cataclysmic flood going over the whole land, killing all flesh that were not in the ark. Jesus describes the reality of life before the day that Noah entered into the ark itself as being fundamentally normal. That things were going on just as they always had. They were eating and drinking. They were marrying and giving in marriage. There was no looming medical diagnosis that showed the floods going to come. At least not any that they listened to. They were living and acting as if everything was normal. Everything was the same. Everything would continue to go on the same. Then in verse 40, Jesus looks at this reality of the days of Noah, and he uses the word then to then start talking about how it would be just like that in the time of the coming of the Son of Man. Then shall two be in the field, the one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other First, talk about two men in the field, something that would have been very mundane, normal tasks. And he says that in that day, one will be taken and the other left. Now, within the context of Matthew chapter 24, the word taken was used in verse um, 31, or a word like taken was used in verse 31 to refer to the gathering of God's people. It was also just used in our passage in verse 39 for the taking away into judgment. So when we're looking at one being taken and one being left, we don't exactly know which one is being reserved for judgment and which one for salvation. But what we do know is that there is a sharp distinction between those saved and those judged between the believer and the unbeliever. And then it happens during this daily normal activity of two men working in the field to secure food. And he gives another example. Two women grinding at the mill. One's taken, one's left. It's as if Jesus is talking in our vocabulary, as if people are just going to the grocery store. People are just going to their jobs as normal. And then the sudden separation occurs. 
We can't presume that there'd be any warning that this would come. But just as life has always gone in the same exact way as it has since the foundation of the world, one day it won't be the same. Talks about the time is now to be made right. Talks about how the time is closing because Jesus has already said that he is near at the doors. Now we further have the reality of saying we don't know the time when the door will be closed. There's a powerful but somber moment in what we read in our scripture reading. In which everyone who obeyed the Lord's command went into the ark, and the Lord shut him in. The Lord closed the door. Time to be sure that we're in the ark. It's time to be sure that we're in Christ. That we've believed in him and trust in him alone for our salvation and our hope. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. We don't know when the judgment comes. We said it throughout this service and we'll say it again. All of us in this room are sinners. We have sinned said things, thought things, or done things that are against God and his holy character. Whether it being lying, whether it being ungrateful to him and thus placing ourselves instead of him as being our provider and Lord. Whether it's stealing, whether it's being selfish, whether it's not doing unto others as we would have them do, but living as if others are just background noise to our life. Any of these, even the smallest of them, means that we deserve punishment, to be away from the Lord in eternal fire and torment, to not see any of God's good graces or blessings. And yet, Jesus is here, in Matthew's gospel, speaking precisely because he is enfleshed. He's added to himself a human nature and is living upon this world cursed because of sin and living for the sake of dying. Going towards, in fact, right now being just outside place where he's already said that he will suffer and die and on the third day rise again it was not for any sins that he is to have done but because of us because of his love and grace towards us that we might turn to him and be saved jesus compassionately gives this firm warning that things will be going in as they normally do. Giving a, a firm warning, in this instance, 
not directly to the unbeliever, but to the believer. But a compassionate firm warning to the unbeliever all the same. So let's not lose sight of that opportunity to repent and believe. As we move from verses 36 to 41 and move into verses 42 to 44, as we move into seeing, so be always ready, Jesus doesn't apply it to the outside community. Jesus doesn't even apply it to his disciples, saying that you need to go out and tell the outside community that their time is short. He instead applies it to the 12 disciples that he is speaking to. So in verses 42 to 44, so be always ready. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. Watch, therefore. On account of what Jesus just says, because you don't know, and indeed, in case we didn't understand the reality and the presence of it, he also adds the four and the four clause that you do not know what hour your Lord doth. Watch, therefore. It's important to realize that he's not talking about people who don't recognize the lordship of Jesus. As we've already mentioned, he's talking to the twelve, and he makes it even more pointed when he says, Y'all's Lord. Y'all's Lord comes. Even that idea, present tense, the reality in which Jesus is envisioning, even while he's still standing there and hasn't ascended to the Father, that he is currently coming. One who is, one who was, and the one who is coming, John says in Revelation. It's as if we're supposed to be looking up in anticipation, recognizing that he could come at any time, that he even right now is coming and is near at the doors. He gives us an illustration, a mini parable, if you will, in verse 43. About a man who owned a house. It says that he'd have been zealous about protecting his possessions and property. 
not letting his house be broken into if he had only known in what hour the thief would come. Since he didn't know in what hour the thief would come, he wasn't being alert. Jesus' thought process is to say, we have something more important to be watchful for than just the thief stealing our possessions. We have our Lord returning for us. That hopeful, brilliant, beautiful thing is something that we should be longing for and should be zealous in looking at it. We should be as zealous and actually more zealous at waiting for the return of Christ than the homeowner would be about a thief coming at 3 a.m. We should be just as vigilant. And then Jesus brings it to a conclusion. He states the whole point again. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. We'll have as little warning as the thief. Throughout the rest of our discourse, we have four parables to the end of chapter 25. And these are going to help spell out for us what Jesus means by watching. But for now, I think we should suffice it to say that the challenge for us is to live in such a way as we would want Jesus to find us at his return. To live obediently to live humbly, and to recognize that none of what we do to him is in any way a repayment for a privilege, that's not very much grace. Rather, even representing him now, even living for him now is part of the grace that he gives to us. Because then, for the first time from before we were saved, then when we were saved, at that first moment, we start to actually having a chance to live in accordance with how we were designed. To worship God, to love him, to enjoy him, and to serve him. Now, as I was preaching this morning, I was reminded of a story. There's a time in which Martin Luther was asked, what would you do if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? He said, plant a tree and pay my taxes. The basic reality of what he thought he would do if he knew he was going to die the next day is to do the normal activities of life and to do it in service to the Lord. As we seek to watch, not knowing when the Lord comes, 
We ought to plant trees and pay taxes. We ought to go to the grocery store. We ought to read our Bibles. We ought to do normal activities, doing it for the pleasure of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord. Not waiting till we receive some ticking clock, but in our activities in the here and now, worshiping and serving him as we will one day do eternally. Father God, we don't know when the day of the Lord comes. So we must always live in readiness for it. We should always live our lives for you, regardless of what tasks and assignments, our jobs, our household responsibilities, or anything else comes Father, we ask that you would cause us to be in all readiness at all times, that we would ever more rejoice in the near coming and ever rejoice now in the grace we've already received. And so, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. This is Pastor Ryan again. I'm glad that you were able to listen to today's sermon audio. If you would, please do remember that we strive as Christians to be the aroma of Christ to God among those who are perishing and among those who are being saved. To some then, that's a fragrance of life to life, and to others, it's a fragrance of death to death. And we don't have our sufficiency in ourselves for these things, but only from God. And so I leave you. The Lord bless thee and keep thee. The Lord make his face shine upon thee and be gracious unto thee. The Lord lift up his countenance upon thee and give thee peace.